0: Hi everyone, welcome to the ABBA podcast with me, John MacDonald. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a a regular listener, then thank you so much. I really appreciate your support and there really wouldn't be any point in doing these podcasts without you. If you're a new listener to the ABBA podcast, welcome. I hope you'll enjoy today's episode and it will encourage you to become a a regular listener. I would love to hear from you, get feedback from your comments or questions, and you can do that on Twitter at Podcast. Or you can keep in touch through the Facebook page, which is the Abba face, the Abba Podcast. Sorry, with John McDonald. All of the podcast episodes can be downloaded from Podbean, which is our host platform, as well as Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, the usual podcast platforms. And you can sign up there to follow and get uh, notification of instantly of, of new episodes that are uploaded. And if the Abba Podcast isn't on your usual platform, that the one you prefer. Let, let me know. I'll try and get it sorted for you. Uh, if you'd help, like to help keep us running, you can make financial donations to john at sonship.co.uk and you can do that through PayPal. So just go to PayPal, send a payment to john at sonship.co.uk and we'll receive that. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> When I first became a believer, um, I heard so much about the fact that God had now adopted me, I was now his child. But that image of adoption, it always conjured up images of of being an orphan who didn't belong anywhere. And suddenly God takes pity on me and decides, well, he's going to make me one of his. And so I've always struggled with that because if I'm adopted, does that mean that God had nothing to do with me, no interest in me prior to, to me being in Jesus? You know, being adopted doesn't inspire me to think of myself as someone's son, but that is what we've been hearing a lot in Western Christianity for for a long time. But in this revelation of the Father's love, I've been learning and I've been seeing in Scripture that we are actually biologically God's offspring. We see that in Acts 17, in Genesis, in Jeremiah, in Ephesians, in Matthew. And if that's true, how does adoption fit into that reality? Well, I'm with Trevor Galpin in this episode, and Trevor is going to speak about adoption, sonship, what that really means biblically, uh, and we'll see where it takes us. So, this is the interview with Trevor Galpin uh, on sonship. Well, Trevor, welcome to the ABBA podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you, John. And we're talking about sonship and adoption. And you know, I've never I've never really been comfortable with the whole idea of being adopted by God. It's it's kind of made me feel as though I don't belong. Um I've heard you talk about this issue and what, what's your perspective on that about as being adopted as God's sons and, and daughters?
1: Well, it's an interesting one because it's a word that um immediately you say the word adoption, it conjures up something, a thought in your mind. Um, which makes sense to us in the 21st century. I mean, if, if somebody is adopted, it means um, some, two people came along and basically take that individual into their home and they legally become their adopted child. And it's a legal transaction. And it's a wonderful experience for many people. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out, as we know, but you know, many, many people who've been adopted are hugely grateful for the, kindness of the two people that adopted them. Um, So that's what we think about when we come to this word adoption. And it's been a word that's um, been in the English Bible since the first translation of the English Bible, well, not entirely true, since the King James Version was translated in 1611. Um, And you find it in the New Testament in five places in the teaching of Paul, where there is a word that he uses which is translated into english as adoption now the issue that i have with this <clears throat> is, is a couple of things really um and maybe you, you want to talk about them what why do we use that word adoption if was that what paul meant when he used when it's translated in english and and does that fit with the revelation of god as a father that particularly paul teaches in his writings now i I had never i'd never thought about it really until i was um doing something in norway on one occasion and i mentioned it in passing and um our friend ulav said to me you know that word adoption isn't in the norwegian bible it's another word and i thought oh really so i i kind of began to investigate a bit and discovered that. A number of the northern European languages don't have the word adoption, and it's found more in the languages that have got a Latin base, like French, Spanish, Italian, and part of the English That's language. So I, I began a journey of investigating. So, so what's going on with this word adoption? Um,
0: do you want me to carry on with that? Yeah. Well i think that's really interesting there are there are bibles and languages who don't (coughs) talk about adoption so what do they call it then well it's interesting um when you
1: go back to the new testament um that paul and the others wrote um they wrote in a language which we call greek which was not classical greek it was something called koine greek which was the the everyday language of greek that was spoken all across the roman empire that was a slightly simplified version of classical Greek. And Paul uses this a term on five different occasions in Ephesians, Romans, yeah, and in Ephesians and Romans and Galatians. And um, it's the same term that in English is translated adoption. Now, the word that he uses is a compound word, meaning it's made up of two words that he's put together to make up um another word so part of that is the first part is that the the word he uses is is huiothasia huios means sun thasia means placing and they're put together and it doesn't quite work in english you know sun placing that doesn't kind of communicate very easily and certainly the first translators of the bible from greek into english looked at this word and rather than asking the question, what did Paul mean? What was his thinking theologically behind the use of this made up word? Rather, they went to look for words that they could find to translate it. Now, you know, this is a bit of a history lesson. So, you know, if you start falling off your chair looking bored, I'll oh, know it's time to stop. But as, as the centuries rolled by, um, the, the New Testament was written in Greek eventually the western part of the roman empire spoke less and less greek and they spoke latin and so the christians in the western part saying we want the bible in latin so that we can all read it not just the greeks in the east so a guy called um jerome around about the year 400 was the first person to do a complete translation of the new testament um into Latin, so he translates from the Greek. There have been various ones before that, bits and pieces, but this was the first complete one. And he came across this word, Huethesia. And what he did, he looked around in the Latin cultural world in which they all understood and saw a similar word, which um, he put into his his Latin translation. Now, th- this this Huethesia word actually described a ceremony that happened in in families to do with recognizing an heir not not heirs weren't always the eldest they were the healthiest and so there was a ceremony when a son was recognized as being the future heir for this particular family and they didn't have to wait for the father to die to get their inheritance to find out who that was they had this ceremony usually when
0: that's, That's really interesting in the context of Luke 15, that they don't have to wait until Father dies to get their inheritance. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's strange to a Jewish context.
1: Yeah, but I think it references exactly this ceremony, yeah. so this thinking, this mindset. It's
0: really interesting.
1: And some of, some of the key elements in Jesus' story in Luke 15 are picked up in this ceremony that appears to have happened widely. Um, and in this ceremony which a son was placed in his position as the heir so hence this word son placing uh-huh. well not every greek or roman father who had got uh, an estate or an inheritance to pass on had sons and unfortunately it didn't apply to women um but if they didn't have a son what they would do they would approach a friend who got more than one son and effectively buy one of his sons. And there will be a a financial transaction and um, this son would then become the legitimate son of this individual. And when the the heir was announced, when the son was placed, this boy would take on this full full right of a son, the full rights of sons, okay? So um, he doesn't have to be a biological child, obviously, because they haven't got any. No. Now, the Roman term for this ceremony was a Latin term adoptio filio, the adoption of sons. Now, it's talking about that particular aspect of it where they haven't got a biological son.
0: Right.
1: It relates to just anybody taking, you know, so okay. by, the time, by the time you get to 400 and Jerome translating his Bible, what comes to mind for him is that the adoption of sons so he's thinking about adoptio filio as okay, you have no son, so I adopt this one and so in his Latin version of the Bible, he translates it as adoption he he's not following the theological thinking of Paul, which we'll talk about in a minute he's talking more about this particular set of adoption well roll that through the centuries um. A thousand years later they're starting to translate the bible into english english language and the first person who did that was a guy called uh Wycliffe the Wycliffe bible translators are named after that's 14th century he translates not from the greek and hebrew but he translates from jerome's latin version which is the vulgate so when Wycliffe translate it he sees this word in latin adoptio translates it straight into English as adoption. Now, people in the 16th, 17th century, they all knew about adoption like we do today, but the, the, the previous ceremony that had happened a thousand years before was gone. That doesn't exist in culture anymore. Sonship, placing of sons didn't happen. You became an heir when your father died.
0: Right. Unlike oh.
1: in the Roman era, was when the father was alive because they worked together after that so that that's partly what happened so then the reformation comes along and the great bible translator from the english bible was um william William tyndale and um did i say william Tyndale? Yeah. anyway tyndale Um, he translates from the Greek, so this is the first translation from, of the Bible from the Greek. Now, interestingly enough, he gets burnt at the stake for having done this because you, know, you shouldn't really do that. And uh, but his version of the Bible, seventy-five percent of it is taken up by the King James version. Right, so they've used Tyndale's teaching. Well, if you go through Tyndale's Bible, he comes across this word. Adoptio or Huothesia and says mm, doesn't work adoption and he translates it as placing a yeah. sons in a couple yeah. of places. By the time you get to the 1611 and it's the King James Version he's you know a bit dubious as far as the translators are concerned because he was burnt at the stake yeah. and they go back to Wycliffe's version which is adoption. So what's historically happened is a word has been used that actually does not a, do justice to the original meaning of the word, and certainly doesn't do justice to the theology of the thinking that Paul was going on to. Now, people like Martin Luther, when he did his versions of the Bible, they didn't go that route that the English have done. So many of the Lutheran countries, like Norway and Finland and Denmark, they don't translate it in the same way as we do. So there, it's all a bit of a mystery to them that part the english-speaking world has dominated theology for a long time and the whole idea of adoption has become a major plank of christian thinking particularly people like calvin came along and said of course god adopts us as sons he chooses you to be a son
0: but not you that's really interesting isn't it because then we've developed this whole Idea of theology doctrine that God has nothing to do with us until we're in Christ.
1: Yeah, well, so, I remember
0: when I was a new Christian. That's, that's what I was told. Yeah, yeah, He became my Father when I was born
1: again. Yeah, and I thought and that, well, that's what I always struggled with. You know, did He not care before? You see, see the idea of adoption sounds great on one level. I mean, th- there are eminent writers who've written books about adoption how they were adopted. Um, And uh, their experience of being adopted was wonderful and it helped them understand the nature of God as a father. But that's from an emotional um, healing story of theirs rather than a biblical foundation of what the word actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you've got people saying, well, God adopts us because he loves us. Because there's a huge element of that in adoption. You know, parents... Choose a child because they want to give their love to him. It sounds great, but the way it has been taken by a huge section of the Protestant Reformed way of thinking that comes from Calvin is that God does that. He chooses these people to be his sons for salvation, but not everybody. Yeah. So, you know, hyper Calvinists who are extreme would say, God chose you, but not you. You are chosen for salvation, but you are chosen for the damnation.
0: Because we've even been told things like "like God can't even look at you unless you're clothed with Christ.
1: I know. And it's like, wow. yeah, as if we're wearing a latex mask over our head. Oh, it's okay. It's Jesus.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like, like you know, Jacob with Esau's furs on or something. Yeah. yeah. And it, to me, that,
1: that it just doesn't do justice to yeah. the theology, which is the other aspect of this. I think the translation is one issue. Um, And I I understand that the muddle of the translation brings. But theologically, if you take away the emotional niceness of the thought of being adopted and actually say, well, most adopted people at some point say, yeah, but was my real mother, my real father? And and they go looking for the, obviously, many go looking for their
0: real parents. It's become a huge industry nowadays, hasn't it, for some?
1: And sometimes, you know. It's a happy ending, especially if you're Davina McCall and you do your kind of yeah. program on TV about it. But the reality is, it's not always a happy ending. And you know, so it, it's a very emotionally charged thing. But it's not the language that Paul was t- talking about.
0: Okay, what he had been had revealed to him. So was was euthecia a, a popular word in Greek, or was it something that Paul no. No, it's
1: I I, I I the impression I get is that it's a made up word that to some degree, that Paul uses it. He takes a, a word that that describes a ceremony and uses it, invests it with new meaning, which is what, what he did with a lot of things.
0: Yeah, you he seem to see that throughout throughout Paul's writings like
1: Yeah, it, it it's an illustrative word. It's like in, in Galatians um chapter four, um, verse one, which is where the worst place to put a chapter division, anyway. That's another issue. Um, he he says, well, in talking about sonship, he's been talking all about we're sons. It's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all in Christ. Blah 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 blah. He, he uses that because we're sons, we're heirs. And then he says, well, what I'm saying is this. And then he he uses an illustration to expand a little bit on that thing about what it is to be heirs. And he says, what I'm saying is this. Why,
0: why don't we read that?
1: That's scripture. Okay. You have to just, find just it. just the people it. listening. So that where, where we it's Galatians it's, Galatians three and four. <coughs> See Galatians three, twenty nine, um, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now now Paul's talked about three words that in that previous section that helped describe sonship. One is being baptized. The other one is being clothed. And now this third one is um, heirs. So in that context, it's saying, you're all sons of God through through the faith of Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there, there you've got it three words that are picture words baptism clothing and heirs right and he uses those three words to illustrate and to help us understand what it is to be sons okay it's not it's not sons before you know if we've got people thinking oh, well, daughters as well he deliberately says this is not a gender word he says yeah. it's neither june or greek male nor female you know don't think of sons as meaning something about our gender. It's about a status rather than anything else.
0: And that's so interesting. it, it doesn't say you're all, it doesn't say all you men or all it just well, says you no, are
1: all. Right. You're all sons of God through the faith of Christ Jesus. Now, all
0: were baptized.
1: Yeah. Well, when, when I looked at that with my Baptist background hat on, I thought, yeah, why does he use the word baptism? You know, I knew all about, you know, being buried with Christ in baptism. It's like a burial and, you know, being washed from sin. But he's saying sonship is characterized by being baptized into Christ. Well, I, I thought about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan and how when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. And then God the Father spoke and said, you are my son, whom I love, and I'm proud of you. I mean, that's a very clear threefold statement. It's in all four of the Gospels that you are my son. I love you and I'm proud of you. And um, Paul's raised the issue of baptism for a reason. He wants us to see the connection there, which we will in a minute. And then he also talks about being clothed in Christ. And I mean, you earlier mentioned that thing that people think that when God looks at us he he just sees Jesus and I joke about being a latex mask. See some people think oh we're clothed in Christ therefore he doesn't see us dirty rotten sinners he just sees Jesus and so that's why he loves us.
0: Yeah well I mean that's the concept I was given when I I became a believer and I held to for many years.
1: Yeah me too I mean absolutely. Um, So you've got those two words and then you've got the air word and, and for us being an heir, as I said earlier, is something we get when someone dies. Yeah. We become an heir at that point, but that wasn't how it was in the in the first century.
0: Yeah, I do. People, I, I do tease with my mom. You know, spending all of my inheritance. She says, "Oh, don't worry. You get. You'll get whatever's left when I'm gone." <laughs> and that's exactly what you're talking about. We think of yeah. when that person's gone, we get what's left over from from their lives. Well.
1: In, in the first century it didn't work like that that if 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 someone had a property and they had an estate or they had something like that, they would um choose a day when they appointed and publicly acknowledged one of their sons to be their heir, which meant yeah. from that day the son would come and work alongside their father in the family business. so becoming an heir meant you were working. From now on, with the Father, doing the works that the Father's doing, you know, which if you look at the words of Jesus,
0: oh, wow. that's what... Yeah, that's, that makes so much sense of, of Jesus' life and ministry then, doesn't yeah, it? Because like, they're doing it together. And, oh, wow.
1: Now, he says, as sons, that's what we get. Now, <clears throat> the, the point I made earlier about the word adoption, if, if, if someone didn't have a son, they would adopt someone to be their son yeah adopted son would come straight into that same position same status as the biological son so which is why i keep emphasizing it's about position and status not about anything else so what so paul's saying this and then he says well what i'm saying is this this is chapter 4 verse 1 as long as the heir is a child he's no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, we read that and we think, "What's that? What's that about?" You know, which is why they stuck chapter four in there because they thought this is something different. It's not. It's a continuation of the previous verses. But when they read this the first time in Galatians, they'd all have gone, "Yep, okay, get that, Paul." And well, what do they get? He's describing something those first readers would have all recognised. This this concept that children, particularly sons, were looked after by household slaves, educated ones, guardians and trustees, in like a nursery in the home of the the rich family. And the father wouldn't take a lot of interest. They're under guardians and trustees. One day, one of those kids, the boys, one of the boys will be announced publicly as his heir. And from that day, that boy will work with the father. So the father decides when that day will be. So at some point, it's not a fixed date, it's just sometime. The father says, Okay, I want to appoint my heir. And he goes and gets all the boys out. And he doesn't choose the oldest, because it's not, you know, not that's not the issue. It's the healthiest. Because the whole point about being an heir is you're meant to outlive your father. So you wouldn't have some weedy kid who looks about is about to die and appoint him to be your heir. Instead, you know, number two son or number three son might be robust. So that's one you go for. Now that's, in one sense, is a bit irrelevant. But the ceremony is a special occasion when the father would bring the boys out and say, "Okay, this is my son. He would take him out in front of all his friends and neighbours into a public place, usually in the forum, and have this Platform and they go up on the platform and they'd stand the boy next to him. And these are the words that I found in, in one of the, the texts in, in from Greek literature, Roman literature, where he talked about it that the father would say publicly, You are my son, I love you, and I'm proud of
0: you. Wow.
1: Now you think, Ah, hello. That's exactly what Paul referenced in the baptism wow. of Jesus. Because what? what he, he, yeah what the father says to Jesus Paul is saying here as sons it's what he says to us wow. that's why we're in Christ so the father stands there in this ceremony has the boy there next to him and the next thing he does there's a table up there he gets something called the toga viralis which was like a roman toga you know looks like a bed sheet which is put on the son now this this was done widely not just at this ceremony but it was a sign of adulthood. It was a sign that this individual is now taking on the full responsibility and rights of the heir, who is the wow. son. So the father puts the robe on him. He's clothed in the in, in the clothing of the son. Again, Paul's reference this. Yeah, so when he's looking, he's looking at the son, he's got oh, baptism. God. You're my son, I love you. You then are clothed in Christ so that, officially in the re- you're recognized by all your work colleagues friends neighbors everybody that this is the son who is now placed in this position of sonship
0: i think this really interesting because I, I i i've obviously heard you talk about this before and i remember the first time i heard you talk about it and i started to look at the scriptures you know is this a pattern and actually it's there in, even in genesis when god cloaks adam and his wife with the yeah. The animal skins exactly clothes them. Jo- joseph is cloaked by his dad elisha is cloaked by elijah
1: it's just and remember the story of uh the prodigal son yeah luke 15
0: put the best robe on him yeah
1: so what see what's the father doing in that he's embracing the son the returning son who is a son in the first place yeah you know he's not adopting him it was his son it, it was his son who belonged to him who's been absent has gone away and lost connection lost relationship with the father in the story and when the boy comes home the father embraces him and kisses him which is the big sign of sonship you get that in the old testament as well
0: yes and
1: clothed him with the best robe and this he puts the ring on his finger which which isn't in the in in the galatians passage but in in luke 15 The ring that he puts on his finger is the sign that he's the heir and the son.
0: Wow. And that's incredible because, I mean, when you think about it from the perspective of us coming to know Jesus and and, and growing towards knowing Father, we have lost everything, like the son, you know, and the father reinstates this son back to the place of. Getting
1: back everything that he's lost. Now, if Jesus, if in that parable Jesus is thinking of this sun placing ceremony, it would explain why the attitude of the older brother is pretty negative.
0: Mm.
1: See, you know, in our thinking, the older one would be the heir, but in this case, if there is a clear parallel between the two story and and the illustration that Paul's using, and I think there is, Uh the fact that the older brother is upset well i've never had all this well the fact is jesus overrides that because it's only a story and paul's illustration is just an illustration he overrides it and puts a whole new layer into it that says but you've always been with me so even the older brother is placed in the position with the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son that see he, paul paul does the same in a sense because he's saying we're all in this. See, the, it is only an illustration. It doesn't mean that God only chooses one or two individuals and repositions them as sons. What he's saying is they were his DNA sons in the first place, because nobody adopts their DNA children. No. They belong to him. So in the context, oh. Paul then goes, and says, that's how it was with you. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law That they might receive the full rights of sons it's because we belong to him in the first place which is which is why adoption as a word doesn't work yeah you know in in,
0: um, it's a totally different picture isn't it
1: absolutely in in ephesians one you can tell i get a bit excited about this sorry
0: i I don't blame you this is exciting i hope hope people listening will be as excited by it too (laughs) In Ephesians
1: 1, Paul says, talking about what was happening before the creation of the world, he says, um, uh, where are we? Um, It's in his introduction, Ephesians 1, 4. For the Father chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he planned for us, and it's the huiothesia word again, planned for us to be Well, the translation is adopted as sons. Uh -uh, No, you can't adopt someone that wasn't yours.
0: But he planned for us before the foundation of the world. He
1: planned for us to to be be placed as sons.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Through Jesus according with his pleasure and will. So, you know, the logic, if you want logic, but it's more than logic, of all of Paul's revelation of God as father is that he's eternally father. He does not become father. You know, there are some people who think God became a father when Jesus came. But God was eternally father, even before creation, before he creates anything, he's father to us, to all of humanity. Now, that doesn't mean to say, and I really don't believe this, that all of us are therefore saved or all in that position as sons. We need to be positioned, repositioned. And how does that happen? Well, you get that back in Galatians. Paul says, Jesus redeems us. It's redemption that brings us back into relationship with Father, not adoption. Adoption, wow. scrub the word, sun-placing is the end result of all that Jesus came to do. He brings us back to position us in our originally God-intended relationship with God as Father.
0: And that explains the whole thing in Second Corinthians 5, doesn't it? God was in Christ or through Christ, Reconciling the world of yeah. not counting sins against them. Yeah. Who was
1: doing the reconciling? God was.
0: God is, yeah. Wow.
1: I, I, to me, this is... Well, it's, it's stood my theology on its head. I think it's put it the right way up, you know, because I think...
0: It's revolutionary, I would say. It, you know, it compared is. Compared to um, what I think, we've always believed or been taught.
1: I think I'm not trying to be clever here, but it's also revelatory. Yes, it, 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 uh, yeah. Paul got it by revelation. I mean, he didn't make this up. When when he wrote Galatians, and someone was accusing him, well, oh, "Where did you get this from, Paul? Who taught you this?" And he said, "Nobody. I got this by revelation from Jesus Himself." Yeah, you know, on on the, on the Damascus Road when he got saved, um, or his, his life was turned around. Um, Jesus said to him, I want you to be uh, my witness of the things you've seen in me and the things I will show you. And the fact he says, I will show you these things, I think that's a really big clue to what Paul was experiencing. He got revelation from Jesus himself.
0: I mean, I knew that he, Paul said, you know, I got this from Jesus, but I never connected that with the yeah. Damascus incident where Jesus says, I, the things I will show you. And if you wow. take it, never connected
1: take it that. Further, one stage further back, Jesus in the upper room with the disciples in in John um, that last night, he says to you, I've got so much more I want to tell you, but you can't receive it at the moment. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will show you these things and he will only speak what he hears the father saying. So the promise Jesus gives the disciples is there's more. There's more to be revealed on the road to Damascus. Jesus says to Paul, I'm going to show you things. He writes Galatians and he said, I didn't get this from anyone. I got this from Jesus himself. Wow. So it just the kind of is like yeah. a thread. And it, in Galatians, and, and Ephesians springboards out of Galatians, it's all about sonship. It's all about being repositioned in Christ as sons, where we were intended to be in the first place. So potentially all of humanity could be repositioned as sons. Potentially,
0: that's mind blowing. It is. That was mind blowing.
1: You know, I'm, I'm afraid I I can't go back to yeah. that place of saying, "Well, God chose you and not you." I mean, no, I'm a father, right? I've got three kids. I I couldn't, supposing something terrible happened and one of my kids had to die, if I as a father had to decide which one it was i wouldn't do that i couldn't do that i'm a father i'd do it i would say okay i'll die yeah you know and where 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 do i get that from it's from the father who created me it's it's in the heart of god the father i just cannot see anything other than the father heart of god as being one who absolutely wants the very best for every single one of his children and creates the opportunity for all of us to be repositioned as sons and daughters,
0: and that makes it—that sheds much more light on Paul and Peter saying that we're co-heirs. Yeah, yeah. You know, Peter. it? Was, Peter says about co-heirs of of this life, and yeah. You know, Paul says co-heirs with Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean, once Paul started saying this stuff and writing this stuff you notice in, in some of the other New Testament writers, they start to pick up that thing. You see, like Peter's one of them. You know, he does say, well, there's some things that Paul says are really hard to understand. But, but in, <laughs> in Peter's letters, his, his writing is of a depth that he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and that what we read about in Acts weren't at. Mm. They, they were basic compared to what... It's like he, he sees things now. he didn't see then i mean john um who wrote you know the gospel and all the rest of it in in his first letter he uses the same language as paul does when he says this is how we know we're in him you know i i think the revelation that paul brought is being picked up by others
0: or see i wondered about this is is it they're picking up on what paul wrote or is, is it what paul wrote just shines more light upon what they had already received themselves. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Because I think it's interesting that the whole thing about God as a father isn't explicitly spelled out in the New Testament because that was the foundational truth that the church was built upon, in a sense. And so there was no real need to, to spell it out. So you look at Paul, and actually he speaks about the father around 50 times. And his writings, you know, and Peter talks about the father, and I just find it really interesting.
1: I I have a suspicion um, that I don't think the early church really got it about God being a father to the extent that Paul did, and later, certainly, John did. you, You know, you read in John's Gospel, and also Luke, Matthew as well, there's a continual referencing of the Father. Yeah. Now, that, they are writing probably 30 years after the events that took place, maybe less, um, remembering things that were said to them.
0: Yeah.
1: Acts of the Apostles describes that intervening period. And what, what you get in Acts is, okay, so what happened after the resurrection, basically? you know, what, what How did the church begin? And what, what I've noticed in Acts, in the first 15 chapters, there's very little reference in the speaking that it goes on about God being a father. The primary point seems to be proving who Jesus was. Now, in a sense, you see that their, their context, their, their audience in the first few chapters of Acts is, is the Jewish world. Now, if, if you start talking about God being a father to the Jewish people, well, you're immediately in the same pile of poo as Jesus was. You know, you know they don't agree with it. But the issue for the Jews was, who was Jesus? If Jesus was the Messiah, if that means he is therefore the son of God, dot, 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 therefore God has to be a father. But the point that Peter and all the rest of them start people at is, okay, who is Jesus? What happened to him on the cross? He died. What does this mean? And eventually it brings us to this later, clearer revelation of God being father, which people like Paul and the others explore and develop. Because it always used to mystify me why the father isn't mentioned in the first...
0: That's really interesting. And I, I, for some reason, I just assumed that because it wasn't spelled out so much that the church had already grasped it. But that makes much more sense, yeah. like you say, those, those, those first 20 years or whatever of Acts. Yeah. You know, I mean,
1: the big years when... For the church came when Jew when non-Jews started becoming Christians, when Gentiles started that that's when it really the crunch time, because it wasn't just going to be a Jewish expression of what Jesus taught. It was going to be a a bigger, different one, wider one that incorporated the Gentiles as well as the Jews, not not exclusively one or the other, but both. And so the Gentiles coming in didn't have the same intellectual mindset that the Jews did. Yes the jewish mindset is god is one there's no such thing as um father son and holy spirit that that's a kind of it's implicit in the new testament but for them to get to that point you have to say that jesus is the son of god that jesus is divine which immediately challenges the mindset of monotheism that god is one gentiles didn't have that problem because they had thousands of gods (laughs) <laughs> the lot, was true. Yeah, for them, it was going the other way. It's not all of that lot. It's only it's this one Father Son the Spirit. Yeah, that's it's, it's fascinating. I could <laughs> listen to
0: you talking about this all day, Trevor. I know it's <laughs> something you're passionate
1: about, maybe your listeners
0: uh, might not. <laughs> well, we can split it up into episodes. <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but I actually I love talking about this stuff.
0: And yeah. Uh, so how, how <laughs> did what? got you focusing on it in the first place
1: in, in what sense
0: well you know because all, we we talk about sonship and everything else and we, we think we know what we mean by it but what what got you to specifically look at it and, and say well what do we mean by it
1: i think um well i mean it's a bit of a long story as usual um <laughs> it, my, my journey into coming to know God as my father, which I've always been on, I just didn't know it, um, it really took off about 2007 when I went to a, um, one of these week-long events which we call A-Schools, Father Hop A-Schools in New Zealand, and, and started to look at the whole concept of God as a father, which for me was a struggle because I didn't like the idea of, father god as a father I, I well i didn't relate to it I, I i saw god as father through the prism of my experience with human father or fathers yeah. which wasn't always that that helpful at that time and i've got loads of roadblocks in the way that you know i couldn't think of god as a father because every time i thought of god as a father i saw my dad and whilst i loved my dad and you know the rest of it um the guy had issues just like every man every yeah. person And the issues got in the way for me, and I had to deal with those. Now, part of the process of becoming a son of, in relation to God as a father, was to recognize that I struggled with the very idea of being a son to my human father. And that was my issue. And that was my choice. And I'd, I'd shut my heart off to my dad yeah. as a son and i didn't really want to be his son so the idea of being god's son was in the same sort of category so i i i needed a bit of unscrambling and healing of my heart and that took a while um and I, I, over the next two or three years the realization that that this now meant not that just god the father loved me and had always loved me and that he viewed me as his son but that i could now live. With the whole um, authority of a son in relationship to God as Father, in the same way as Jesus did. You know, when 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 Jesus says, oh, works that I do, you would do greater works, and he's well, I think, well heck, how does that happen? Well, it's as sons, we step into a reality of our true identity and our true focus of ministry and everything. So my ministry focus has shifted over the last few years increasingly to to try to live my life as a son to God as a father in every circumstance. Now, you know, in the last few months, that's been pretty challenging, like for everybody. Um, But I find myself sitting in my garden occasionally, not thinking about God as a father, not thinking that I'm a son, and then suddenly I think, oh, I haven't thought about it for at least three days. But nothing's changed. Hmm. I am a son. He is my father. It's not about I have to think about this all the time to yeah. make it work.
0: Wow.
1: You know, when we're out on our statutory exercise walks and all this sort of stuff, I'm as much a son as I am sitting there doing all this sort of stuff, and I'm not very good at it.
0: <laughs> no, I think we're all just learning, aren't we? Um, but how does it influence you in ministry? Sen- in a ministry sense, then, you know, if if we're saying that being a son is working alongside the father like you know in the natural um sense of the, of the thing what does that look like for ministry
1: um okay. i i think it's a hard one really i've discovered there are aspects of my life which i really really enjoy okay um and I think one of the things about becoming a son and a realization that I'm a son to God as a father had a lot to do with the joy involved. I mean, some of the stuff I used to do in ministry I did because you have to do it. It's what you do in ministry. I mean, I I'm was
0: just, I'm a serving kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I'm, I mean, I can do all that stuff. I can do. I can, I'm good at it. But it was where my identity was now. I think this the journey now about sonship is is much more enjoyable. I get to have fun doing things now. One of the challenges is that I really like travelling, you know? and it it used to be that if you admitted that you were somehow you know you're getting something out of this for yourself, uh, yeah, that's true. I think ministry is about enjoyment and enjoying what Father's given you to do. So. Uh-huh that's why to be honest the lockdown stuff has been a bit of a challenge for me because I'm not traveling as much as I used to Mm. Um, because I you know I love jumping in the car going off on a plane I sit in my garden and look at the rare white tail of a plane flying over um I think "Mm." yeah Um,
0: I know that feeling
1: (laughs) yeah so I think the reality is I enjoy doing what I'm doing and I miss not doing it it doesn't mean to say that because I'm not Doing it, yeah. I'm not the sun I think that's the difference. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to getting back to jumping on in the car and doing something. When that day comes and I can't do that any longer, well, cross that bridge when we come to
0: it. Well, do, do you think maybe that that the Lord will give you something
1: else to find joy in? I imagine so. It might even be heaven. You never know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well.
1: I was listening I listened to something today. Um a, a pastor, a Baptist pastor in America, who's been a Baptist pastor for fifty years in the same church, First Baptist Church Atlanta, uh, who's just just retired. Well no, he hasn't retired, he's just handed over his role as senior pastor. He's eighty-eight. He's now pastor emeritus. And um I, I knew of him many moons ago when I was a young Baptist pastor, and I used to like listening to his style of preaching everything. And he just said, you know, I don't think I'm retiring because I don't have a plan to retire. And I thought, yeah, I get that. I don't have a plan to retire. Um I, I used to I joked about it occasionally on schools that my idea of walking, following the father, keeping my arms back, he's doing the things that father's doing looking down at the road and the pavement and noticing one day it's gone gold. Wow. That would suit me nicely.
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool. Uh,
1: Stepping over from this into
0: the next. That's so neat.
1: So I don't know what
0: you know. Wow. So one last question for you. You know, you've talked about this whole sonship, Hugh Thesia being put into a place of of being an heir. Do you have any thoughts on what it is we inherit? We get everything Jesus got. Wow.
1: I haven't. I have yet to step into the reality of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- there are people who um, are longing to see um, the greater works still to come. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still on a journey, John. I'd like to see more miracles and stuff. I guess.
0: Yeah. I'd like. Know.
1: Yeah. This COVID thing to end.
0: That would be nice. Yeah. But um, I, I just. It makes me wonder because you know in Luke twelve thirty two Jesus says it's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom,
1: mm.
0: and I just wonder what you know what does that look like what what is it that we're re- we're receiving? Do, does it depend on our ability to receive or no? It, it can't do. If you know? it did, it would just be more
1: stuff we have to do. I think that's probably one of the biggest things is that I don't have to do anything. Yeah to receive all that Father's got for me. I think my, my thinking is, it's a bit like these shelves behind me. It's a book on the shelf. When it's time to take the book down, I think Father will show it to me. I, I don't know what all this stuff means. Um, I used to think I did. And that's a book yet to read and certainly
0: one I haven't written. Speaking about books to read, do you, you have, have a few, few books, books actually, that you've written yourself, haven't
1: you? I have written a few books.
0: Yeah. And I know, is it, finding the father and the story of the church you talk about this sonship yeah um that that was i wrote
1: that because it, you know i like church history and i wanted to see why it appeared that people forgot about god as father and discovered uh-huh. that they hadn't um but that that's when i first started exploring the whole thing about sonship and queer and adoption right. but then i i developed it further in the book on the story of Paul, um okay. when in
0: the early years.
1: Yeah, the early years. It's, it's basically his first missionary journey, and the whole issue that blew up in 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 the church about is there anything we have to do to prove we're Christians? You know, do we have to do Jewish customs? Do we have to do circumcision, and he he says no, it's all done for us. It's we're in Christ, and he wrote Galatians out of that. Yeah, and that that's a major. Exploration of this whole issue of sunship Three Earth Asia, in that book. I had much more time and space to write about that, all of which were available on Amazon and Kindle. And uh, anyway, and then latterly, I just thought, okay, what happened next? What did Paul do after that? So the last book is The Story of Paul, Part Two, The Middle Years.
0: Mm, that's fabulous. So, how many books have you written? Five. Five books. And they're all available on Amazon? Yeah,
1: okay. yeah you can buy them on Amazon. Or, or if you want me to send you one, contact me and I I can do that.
0: Yeah. Well, there you are, folks. If you want Trevor to send you one, contact him uh, to his, his website. What is your, your blog site?
1: Um, TrevorLindaFHM.com Or just if you want to contact me direct, it, it's TrevorGalpinFHM at gmail.com. There we are, folks. And if you can read if you can read mandarin or cantonese one of my book on jesus father this week is about to be published in a mandarin chinese translation so i'm very excited about that it's available it will be available on kindle
0: that's fantastic i realize trevor it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you how Um, nice to talk to you john i love i love when you get into your storytelling um it's just wonderful the way you weave it all together and and break it down and help us to understand what the Bible is really saying to us Uh, thank you so much really enjoyed it thank you
1: thank you for asking me Uh,
0: pleasure, anytime
1: (laughs) bye-bye
0: well thank you for listening Uh, I hope that was a, a real blessing to you Trevor is a wonderful Bible teacher and storyteller. I would encourage you to get a hold of his books if you can and some of his recordings, which are available from his website also. Next episode, I want to look a little bit more at this, so I'm going to take a look at what it means for God to be a real father, what it means for us to be his offspring from the very beginning. But you'll need to wait for that one. All the best. Bye-bye.